So that silence almost feels weird, doesn't it? Because we're so used to our lives being full of noise and plans and all kinds of stuff. Am I the only one? As you're saying, some of you might be thinking, I can't wait till this part gets over because it's just too quiet. But that's, that unfortunately is how we live. It's not unlike Micah's day either. Have you ever heard the phrase, the saying, man plans, but God laughs? You've heard that before? Well, if you haven't, maybe that's a new one to you. Micah addresses a version of that in chapter 2 that we're going to look at. Our plans, sometimes God laughs. And the point is, whether those plans are for good or, or they're not for good, they're selfish in nature or they're, they're focused on other people, the, the truth is, I, I'm hoping we can agree on this big idea right here, this, this main principle. We're not as in control as, of as much as we think we are. Am I the only one? Just when I think I'm in control of my life in so many different aspects of my life, then it kind of just falls apart. And I'm, I'm recognizing once again, maybe I'm not as in control as much as I want to be and as much as I think have convinced myself that I am sometimes. You see, that's kind of the environment of God's people. They had drifted so far away from God they, that they became their own God. They, they had drifted so far away from him that they were making these plans constantly. And in this case, a plans that stem from a dark heart, that, that they didn't recognize the reality that I'm not as in control as I think I am. I do not own this life, that I'm not God. You see, even then they had trouble recognizing that. And as I, I was studying this week, this, this chapter, the continued story of Micah, I, I can't help but parallel, you know, 8th century BC and 2021. Because I see a lot of combinations, a lot of, a lot of parallels in the culture of that day and the culture that you and I are living in today, and even among God's people, among believers and followers of Christ. So I think this is all worthy as usual to look at and is very relevant to our lives. So remember these five things in terms of the backstory of Micah that we looked at briefly last week. First of all, God's people were economically prosperous. God had blessed them, had allowed them. They were extremely comfortable and doing well economically. Well, unfortunately, in the midst of that, they had also become very greedy. Greed had become their new God. And to get more and more, to find a way to make your life significant was their approach. Not unlike, I think, in our culture today. Number three, the leaders, both spiritual and political leaders, had become extremely corrupt. It had not become for them how to lead the people that I've been given responsibility to lead or invest or serve them. It had become about themselves. The, the leaders, both spiritually and politically, had been very corrupt. And the people of God had drifted far away from God Himself. They might have still been going to temple. They might have still been, still been doing, likely they were, still doing the religious thing. Is that making sense? But, but God was not home. It was just a bunch of rituals, what it had become to their lives. And, and so that was the backstory as well. And ultimately, what I want us to always remember about the judgment of God, as Micah presents it, as God, He is the voice of God Himself, is, is that God's judgment is never about crushing you or I any more than it was in this day. It's about redeeming us. 
It's not about pushing us over the cliff. It's actually about drawing us away from the cliff that we tend to run towards on our own. So that's God's redemptive judgment in a very real way. And that's what you'll see ultimately in the story if you stick with me through this series on Micah, this journey through Micah. And I want us to look at chapter 2, just the first five verses in two parts. Very simple. Man's plans and God's plans. Verses 1 and 2 deal with man's plans. And then we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 that, that deal with God's plans. And guess which one trumps? You know, do I need to tell you that part? I don't mean to ruin the movie for you. But guess which plans are ultimately going to win out? Because we're not in control as much as we think we are. Look at what Micah says to this people that have drifted so far from God. And he says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil in their beds. They're dreaming about iniquity and evil of all things. And at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them in houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. And then we get to verse 3. This is, the vo this is God's voice. This is God's plans. And it says, Therefore, the Lord, that is Jehovah we looked at last week. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people, His own people, from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possessions is divided up. He, that is God, takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Now let's go back to verses 1 and 2 and look at man's plans at that time. And unfortunately for them, their plans were stemming from a dark heart, which I think is very critical for you and I to slow down on and really look at because I think it applies to our culture, our time today, and what we allow to influence our thinking and ultimately our values. But what I want you to know, first of all, that there is nothing innately wrong with having dreams. There's nothing innately wrong with with having desires and drives and wanting to, to achieve things and achieve goals. The problem is, is that when those goals and those plans become our God, the problem is, is when we leave Christ out of the plans, that we make plans and we want God to represent them, right? Come on. We, we leave Him completely out of the equation. And, and sometimes we don't even look to Him and look in prayer to Christ until we've messed it all up, right? It's usually in hindsight, Lord, bail me out of what I have messed up. But it was even worse than that if you look closely at God's people at that time. He says in verse 1 again, Woe to those who plan iniquity. They're, they're doing this on purpose. They're dreaming of ways to, to plan iniquity in this case. Well, let's pause and look at what these words and these phrases mean because I think they matter a lot. First of all, the, the word plan or the, the word iniquity refers to exerting yourself in vain. 
What is that? That implies that it doesn't matter how much you live for self, it's never enough. And that was the case in, in Micah's day. God's people of all people were becoming more and more greedy, not less and less greedy. It was never enough. Have you ever seen anybody in today's world where whatever they gain materially, that it's ever enough? I've not seen one example of that personally yet. Not somebody when their drive is to gain. When their drive is to have more and more, it's never enough. The mansion's never big enough. The cars, there's not enough. The garage is not big enough. On and on I could go. The bank account's never enough. That is still true today, is it not, as it was in Micah's day? And so that word iniquity talks about that. It, it, it says it will never be enough. As long as you're allowing self to be your God, you're, you're not going to find a life worth living. You're, you're just going to find you're going to constantly trying to feel something you can't accomplish. And, and the, the implication of the word, it, it characterizes to plan to live out of iniquity in the Bible means and is characterized as a way of life without God. It is a life, even as a, listen, as a believer, he's talking to who? He's talking to God, to God's people, his covenant people. And they are choosing to live a life without God. I mean, completely out. They're going through the religious motions, but they're living a life without God. He has no influence on that. And it is often associated with idolatry. And you know what idolatry is if you've looked at the Scripture very much. And if you haven't, that's quite all right. But idolatry is basically assigning God's status to something or someone, and that could even be self. It's when you allow something to become your God instead of Christ. It's when you allow even self to become your God instead of Christ. And that was what was going on in their hearts. They had, they had grown a dark heart and they weren't recognizing that fact. They were allowing the culture to influence them to such a degree that they didn't recognize it. It not only changed their thinking and impacted their thinking, it was beginning to change their very values of their life and ultimately how they lived. Isaiah recognized the same problem in the same culture when he spoke to that southern kingdom we looked at last week the divided kingdom, and in this same culture among God's people, here's how he described the Hebrew people, God's people at that time. He says, for fools speak folly, their hearts are bent on evil. Now listen, when your heart is full of folly, so are your, gonna be your, is your life and your choices that come. He says, fools speak folly and their hearts are bent towards evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error about the Lord. They speak false teaching about what, who God actually is. They misrepresent who God actually is. And look at the actions towards one another. The hungry they leave empty, and from, and from the thirsty they withhold water. So they're callous. They could care less about anybody else. I mean, is the bottom line. So, so God's Word has said it had gotten so bad and so dark in their life and they had drifted so far is that they dreamed of ways to gain more regardless of what it might cost somebody else. So they planned iniquity in their, their beds. They dreamed of it. And then it says they did what? They planned and they plotted evil. Now the word evil in the Bible refers to that which is inherently bad or destructive. It, it refers and pictures a malignancy. When something is malignant in the body, it of course is trying to take over and do what? Destroy 
the body from the inside out. And that is the, the picture of evil. It, it, it is used in the Bible to refer to anything that causes misery and distress in other people's lives especially. And it is from a term, according to many scholars, they believe it originated from a term that means to break, to smash, and to crush. This is not good quite clearly. You and I hear the word evil thrown around in the world today, and there's plenty of examples of what evil is. But the, the bottom line is a dark heart always leads to what? Destructive lives. Is the heart matters. What you and I are being influenced by, listen, listen, friend, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to lay down what the truth is because it was true then, it's true now. What I'm allowing to influence my thinking is only going to become my values and what my values are is what's going to become my life. It's going to become how I treat people and how I choose to live, what priorities I live out of. How do I know that? Look at verse 1 again. He said, woe to those who plan iniquities, talking about God's people. This is how they're living. And to those who plot evil in their beds, they dream of ways to do this. And it says, at morning's light, you know what they're going to do? They're going to carry it out. They can't wait till the sun rises so they can carry it out and they can try to fill their lives with more stuff and it never works. And he says that morning's light, they will carry it out. Verse one, he says, because it, here's why they do it. Because it's in their power to do so. Listen, you can always find somebody who has less than you do, who has less power than you do, that you can take advantage of. And that's where they were bent towards. That's where they were running towards. And I think it is, it is worth pausing and considering today what is the result? What is the result? Look at verse 2. He tells us what the result was in their lives. They didn't just dream. What did they do? They took actions on their dreams. They didn't just let the world influence them and not God anymore, but they took action on that ultimately. It says they covet. Now, to covet is a word used a lot in the Bible, and it refers to assigning more value to something than you should. It's almost like idolatry. And when you go that far and you think that, that much about other people's stuff, for example, it says they covet the fields and then they did what? Do you see it? They didn't just let it be a feeling. It became an action. You covet their fields and you seize them and their houses and you take them. All, all from coveting. It started with the heart and it ends up in destructive action. And then, they, then he goes on to say, Mike is warning the people, says you defraud people of their homes. Now, now defrauding in that time could have happened through trickery as we know. We think of a fraudster who tricks you into doing something you didn't do. We've had people that have experienced fraud in this church before. They've, they've been duped, so to speak. It could be that. That was going on in the culture among even God's people. But it could also be extortion. I hold something over your head, blackmail or something to get it from you. Or in this case also, we know for a fact that they were paying off judges to use the legal system to do things illegally, ironically. And, and so God's people had gotten down to this kind of point that they were willing to defraud one another to gain more stuff, to gain more, and it was never enough. And they robbed them of their inheritance. Now, when you robbed somebody of their land or their house in that day, friend, you weren't just taking their stuff, you were taking their freedom. Because what that meant is you didn't just own their stuff, you owned them. Because they were in servitude to you at that point. 
They had lost their freedom. It was all based in the land. By the way, who gave God's people the land in the first place? Hello, I heard three or four of you say, God, and you're exactly right. This was the promised land. So this wasn't just robbing people. This was robbing God Himself. This was a, a, an affront to who God had been in their life and how much He had blessed them Himself. A complete affront to their relationship with God Himself. But let's pause. Here's what I think is applicable to you and I especially today. I'm not worried about you coming and stealing my house, by the way, or any number of specific things to that context. But here's what I can be concerned about for my life and we ought to all be concerned about. Number one is the dark heart syndrome. Is there any one of us sitting here today that can't develop a dark heart? You would say it's impossible for your heart to become dark. I hope not because that's not true. Any one of us could drift into this. And by the way, this was a drift away from God, not something they woke up and just did. It was a drift over time, not something that happened overnight. So what you and I need to understand is that this can happen in our lives as well. We can compromise one thing and the next compromise becomes easier. We can just get lackadaisical in what we're allowing to influence our thinking and our, our, our values and ultimately the, the, the patterns and the choices we make in life. It happened then, it still happens today. Does it not? Am I, am I just on, am I in an outer space here? I don't think so. I think I see this happening even among believers today. Uh, it, it, this is a freebie. I know I give you a lot of freebies. Aren't I the nicest guy? I give you all this free stuff. You see, I purposely made, uh, this is just me. I'm not telling anybody you, you need to do this yourself, but I purposely quit watching as much cable TV news on purpose about two, three years ago. Because here's what I found is I wasn't really being informed. My blood pressure was just being raised. I mean, that, that's, it, and I, I read the paper. I want to be informed about politics and whatever is going on in the world as best I can. But I have purposely made, the, the, I have pointedly made, I watch very little cable news anymore, not suggesting you have to do that. But I had to evaluate, how is this affecting my thinking and only my heart? I mean, really. I, I've, we, we can't get away from all the stuff. It's impossible to do. And I'm not suggesting you try that, but you can control it. There are some things you're in control of, and that one of those is that little thing called the remote. <laughs> you know, you can turn to, 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 you know, turn that off. You, you and I can choose to spend less time on social media. I, that, I know I'm picking on some things here, but that's that, that's our world, and it causes us to do this. Now, in God's people's day, they didn't have access to that, but they had access to other things that did the same thing. And so a dark heart will always be a drift away from Christ if you're a believer. Uh, number two that we need to, I, I think, consider is that a dark heart, it, 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 it happens because we are refusing to be honest about the inner realities of our thinking and where it's going. We're living in denial. You see, Micah had been speaking for 50 plus years. Micah didn't just show up one day and, and they just didn't hear it. They had been ignoring the truth of God's Word for about 50 years at this point. He had been trying to wake them up for a long time and saying, you're driving off the cliff, don't do it. And they were refusing to listen. Are you and I, are, are, are you aware of what your thinking has become and what the influence is of the things around us or not? Because it leads to places. And finally, we can end up contradicting the character of Christ just like they were contradicting the character of God. You know where it showed up first on a practical level? 
in their relationships with people. I can fool myself about my relationship with God all day long. That's fairly abstract, right? But I can't fool myself about my relationships with my wife, my kids, my friends, my people I'm around. I can't, I can't fool myself on how I treat people. And how they treated people was dark. It was not good. It was destructive. So a dark heart will always, listen, a dark heart will always, if it's not dealt with and changed, and allow God to convict and realign, a dark heart will always lead to destructive actions. That's what happened in their lives. That's what's happening today. And I'm talking to believers. Listen, I'm not talking about the world. I expect the world to be destructive. I expect those who don't know Christ to have a dark heart. To, to be honest, and I meant nice people that don't know Christ. So I'm not asparaging anybody, but I'm saying I would expect that. There's a vacuum. But if you know Christ, you can still end up in the same place. That's this what happened to God's people. And, and what is true for them is true for you and I. Okay, I'm going to move faster. I wanted to park there for a moment because I think that's incredibly relevant to our lives today. Let's look at God's plans. Look at verse 3. Look at God's plans after it says they planned and they plotted. They had these plans and they, they, were, they were to get more stuff to try to fill their lives and it was never going to work. And then you hit one of two therefores in three verses. When God says therefore twice in three verses, you better hang on. Because he's, he's, he's about to say something that's going to happen whether you like it or not. Uh, and in this case, it's two therefores like, wake up, people. And, and look at verse 3. He says, therefore, the, the, now notice what he said. Therefore, it didn't say Micah says. Therefore, what? The Lord says. Jehovah, this self-existent one, this God, this covenant God, that you should have a relationship. But this is what he says. And I, and I love the language here because it's very interesting. Look at what God says to start with in verse 3. He says, I am planning disaster against this people. Assyria would at some point come down and destroy and take everything they built their lives around. It would all fall into rubble and dust. And, and he is warning them, I am planning a disaster against this people. You know that word disaster? You know what the word, there's a very similar word in the Old Testament to the word disaster. It's the word evil. Things that are inherently bad and destructive and smash and break. It, it, what's interesting is God chose that word that is very similar to the word evil. What I see there is you have caused a lot of disaster in other people's lives. You're about to experience that yourself. It's kind of the so reap principle. I'm going to get to that in a moment. It's the boomerang effect. And, and that's what God is saying. You're going to experience this. Why am planning a disaster against you? Now look at the second part of verse 3. It says, from which you cannot save yourselves. You're not in, as in control as you think you are. You cannot save yourselves. It's, it's a picture of being put in a yoke and you can't get out of it. By the way, the Assyrians, when they come along, they're going to put people in a yoke and they're going to cut them off to slavery as part of the, the deal when you get conquered uh, in that day and time. And, and God's Word is warning His people, you cannot save yourselves. The root of that word, save yourselves, means to recede. You ever seen a turtle coming along, walking along, and people around or whatever? And, and what does the turtle do? when it feels like it's in danger, it recedes, right? Some of you are doing this for me. You're giving a visual. You're right. It, it, it gets in the shell. An ostrich, when it, it feels threatened, what does an ostrich do? Boop, in the sand or in the dirt, find a hole to stick your head in. Which one of those ever solved the problem? Neither. 
So we can recede into our shell or we can stick our head in the sand, but it never solves the problem. You pop your head out of the sand to come up for air or the turtle comes out to continue life. And guess what? The problem is still there. And that's the picture here. You're going to try to recede and, and deny and, and kind of hide from this, but it's not going to go away. You cannot save yourselves out. You are not in control. And I like the last part of verse 3, and I'm going to wrap it up in verse 4 and 5 real, real quickly. He says, you will no longer walk proudly. You know what that word proudly means? It means arrogance. It's not healthy pride. It is arrogance. You're so full of yourself and you're so arrogant. And guess what? That hot air out of that balloon's going to come rushing out. Yeah, I almost brought a balloon up here and just let it go. You know what I mean? The noise and it ends up flat on the floor, right? That's the picture here. Your arrogance, your balloon's about to be popped. You're not in control of what you think you are. And so God is warning them with, with no, just straight up. He's saying there's going to be a future judgment in your life. And there's going to be, look at verses 4 and 5, a personal accountability. Now, what news I do watch and I do read the papers, that word accountability in Washington, D.C. is thrown around every other day, right? But nobody ever seems to be held accountable. That's the, that's the galling part to me. I don't know about you. That's just that's my little political commentary. But nonetheless, regardless of what party or whoever, it doesn't ever seem anybody ever gets around to be actually held accountable, you know what God's Word says? That's not happening. You will be held accountable for the choices you and I make. There will be a day that personal accountability will come. Look at verses 4. He says, in that day you will be ridiculed. What you have, have thrown on other people, you are going to experience every bit of it. He says, we are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided. By the way, just like they were doing, they were taking things they shouldn't have been taking and, and using people in ways they should not have been doing. He said, it makes, it takes it from me. He takes it from me. God, he assigns our fields to traitors. That is, the Assyrians are going to come and own everything. The world is going to own you. Only is what he's saying. Now, you're familiar with the sow and reap principle, right? We're not, there's no farmers in the room, right? There may be. Maybe some of you grew up on a farm. But even I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in Dallas, and so I don't know much about farming. But I do know what you plant in the ground. Don't be surprised that it grows up, right? You plant a weed seed. Is that such a thing? Guess what? Weeds are going to pop up. You plant whatever, that's what's going to pop up in life. So the sow and reap principle is a truth built into life according to God's Word. Let me give you just three examples. Job chapter 4, verse 8, you'll see it on the screen. He, he says, as I have observed, I've experienced this, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble do what? Reap it. Big shock, Right? And then in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul is appealing to the church of Corinth to be generous in their lives, in their possessions, in helping the other churches that are struggling. And he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. You're going to experience what you live. He, he says, and whoever sows generously, giving your, your resources to help others, will also reap generously. And then he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, another example, I could go on and on. There's many more in Scripture about this truth. He says, do not be deceived. Now, that, that, now Paul's getting to the bottom line here. Pay attention here. Look at what he says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You can try it. You can live as if you can. But he says God cannot be mocked. And then he goes right back to the sow and the reap principle. Did you see it? 
A man, a person, mankind. He's talking to everybody. A male and female. A man reaps what he or she sows. A person reaps what he or she sows. You know what Paul just said? The sow and the reap principle, the sow and the reap truth is winded into creation. It is baked into the cake, my friend. And you and I, you've heard me use this analogy before. I can climb up on the roof of this church outside. And if I try to do that, please tackle me and stop me. And I can jump off this roof and claim I have the power of my own to flap my arms and fly. But guess what wins every stinking time? Gravity. Because gravity is weaved into life. It is created there. It's baked into the cake. And you can't do anything about that. I can think I can self-will myself to fly all day long and flap my arms harder and harder, but I'm going to end up on the ground every single time. Sow and reap. What you and I sow in this life, we will reap. That is God's Word. He makes it clear. And that's what God's people are experiencing. Now look at verse 5. He uses the second therefore. Why is the second therefore important? Look at what he says. God is saying to His people, therefore you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Now what, what is He talking about? He's saying by your dark hearts and your destructive actions, by drifting away from Me, by allowing the world to be your influence and your thinking and your values, you have destroyed your relationships with one another, but it doesn't stop there. You have done harm to your relationship with God Himself. How do I know that? The word assembly means congregation. The word assembly refers to God's covenant relationship with His people. And God is wrapping it up by saying, therefore, the second therefore in three verses, you have done serious damage to your relationship with God Himself. Can we do damage to our relationship with Christ? That's what I see right there. Absolutely I can. I can cause God pain. Is that amazing? But that's true. We, we can cause Him joy or pain. And in this case, His people had drifted so far they were causing Him pain. I saw this article on, on a book <clears throat> written called Making Grateful Kids. It's, it's a Christian author, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Fro. And get this, he wrote that the American child that watches on average three hours of kids programming a day <clears throat> will see on average in a year 4,380 acts that are good, actions that are good by watching the kids' programming. However, on that same kids' programming in a given year, they will see 15,330 acts of violence or antisocial behavior. Triple the amount of the good. And he goes on to say there is research after research that strongly indicates, and to me this is a no-brainer, but it, it's amazing that we're not paying attention, uh, whether parents or just as individual believers. But the research strongly indicates that an abundance of exposure to violent program and videos is linked to this. Listen, aggressive attitudes, values centered on self and destructive behaviors. Dark hearts become destructive behaviors every single time. 
And he goes on to say that there was a review of over 100 different studies on our kids and what they're being exposed to in this world today. And it, it consisted of 130,000 kids around the world. And they found without any doubt that violent video games increase the following things, aggressive thoughts, angry feelings, blood pressure, and heart rate. So it's a physical response, of course, and aggressive behavior. And it also, according to all this research, it also has a tendency to decrease empathy and a willingness to help others. Dark hearts become destructive choices and behaviors. And on the other hand, he says in his book, exposure to healthy pro-social content tends to be linked to kindness and good deeds. You see, you know, you know the story, right? According to God's Word, what's in our hearts is going to become who we are. And what's in our hearts, our thinking and our values we form within are going to be the, the choices we make in life, in our relationships, in our relationship with Christ Himself. So we're getting a warning here just like Micah in Micah's day. And the purpose of God's warning is not to crush you, it's to redeem you. The purpose of the truth, now here's the bottom line. The truth of God's Word is always good and beneficial. But it tends to be very painful as long as you and I ignore it or butt our heads against it. It is always good and beneficial, but it is only experienced as good and beneficial when you do what? you respond to it. You align your life, your thinking, and your life with the truth of His Word. But as long as I keep walking away from the truth of His Word, in a given setting, in a given moment, whatever God's saying to you right now, as long as I choose to walk away from the truth and ignore it and or just butt heads with it, it's always going to be a painful experience in my life. But God's purpose behind revealing the truth, even hard truth, is to be good and beneficial. Now, whether it is, is up to you and me, right? It's up to the response to the truth. So my question is, what's your response? What's going to be your response today? Forget yesterday, forget any other sermons you might halfway remember. I'm talking about right now. What is going to be your response today? What is God saying to you right now. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> sometimes you just speak straight and speak bluntly to us because we've not been listening. And, and I pray that in those moments of my own life, in those moments of any of our lives as followers of Christ, that, that we, will, we will wake up and we will listen and we will choose to be responsive to the truth of Your Word. I'm praying even now that Your Spirit, because I know that's what You do, is speaking to each of us on a very personal basis. This is not a message to us. This is a message to each of us. So Father, speak into our minds and our hearts that our lives may continue to be transformed in the image of Christ. May we be inspired by Him more and more and influenced less and less by this world. 
Father, that is only when we choose to respond to the truth. I pray that we will. 